0: This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn more about Reynolds' online retailing approach by visiting rayray.com forward slash retail anywhere. That's RUI, dot slash retail anywhere.
1: Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show... Mercedes and Nissan's vehicle
2: and engine sharing collaboration moves another step towards unraveling. Some of Hyundai and Kia's most popular models get hit with a stop sale, and Ford discontinues the Transit Connect in the US after next year. Plus, we're we'll here from electrification advocate Ari Matuziak about what the Inflation Reduction Act means for electrifying cars, trucks, and just about everything else in our lives.
3: What I think this does do as a policy basis is plant an American flag in the ground to say that we want to have the productive capacity of the energy future here in the United States.
1: Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Nissan's decision to end production at an East Tennessee engine plant is likely a final blow for the automaker's years-old product-sharing collaboration with Mercedes-Benz. The facility was built specifically to share vehicle and engine production between the two companies. The Infiniti powertrain plant's 400 employees will be reassigned. The plant was built to produce up to 250,000 engines a year, but it only managed to hit 35% of capacity at its peak production in 2020. Auto Forecast Solutions says it produced only 50,000 units last year. Hyundai and Kia are recalling more than 280,000 U.S. vehicles because of an
2: issue with the tow hitch harness that may lead to a fire while parked or driving. The recall covers some of the automaker's most popular brands. That includes almost 250,000 Hyundai Palisades and more than 36,000 Kia Tellurides, both from the 2020 to 2022 model years. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration issued a stop sale today. That's in accordance with federal regulations for affected, unsold vehicles at dealers and vehicle processing centers. The two automakers are advising customers to park their vehicles outside and away from structures until repairs are complete.
1: More not-so-great news for Hyundai. A second supplier for the Korean automaker has been accused of child labor violations in Alabama. SL Alabama LLC is a subsidiary of South Korea's SL Corp. The U.S. Labor Department says it employed underage workers at its Alexander City, Alabama factory, according to court filings. The complaint says SL Alabama repeatedly violated labor regulations by employing oppressive child labor and minors under the age of 16. In a statement to Reuters, SL Alabama admitted children had worked at the plant. It said the minors had been hired by an outside labor recruitment firm, which it didn't identify. The revelations come one month after Reuters reported the use of child labor at another Alabama auto parts plant operated by Hyundai subsidiary Smart Alabama, LLC. And Ford is canceling a plan
2: to build the next generation Transit Connect van in Mexico. It will stop selling the vehicle in the U.S. by the end of next year. That's according to three people with knowledge of the decision who spoke with Automotive News. Ford currently imports the Transit Connect from Spain. Last year, the automaker developed a plan to produce a next-generation version at its Hermosillo assembly plant starting in 2023. Sources say Ford scrapped the plan earlier this year. They say the nameplate will live on as a Europe-only model. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, we just released our latest class of rising stars in the industry here at Automotive News. Tell us a bit about this year's class.
1: Uh, Rising stars is one of my favorite of our honorific programs. It really highlights, you know, young people who have demonstrated some leadership or some innovation. There's probably a little bit of tendency to favor the technical skills, people with the hard skills that are that can really set a company apart. And it's very exciting to meet these folks. And uh, sometimes they go on to take really big and important roles in the auto industry. It's a fun program. And you can
2: see our list of rising stars at autonews.com or in our latest print edition of Automotive News. Coming up, at least one leading electrification advocate says the Inflation Reduction Act will be market tilting in scale. We'll hear from Ari Matuziak, the co-founder and CEO of Rewiring America. That's next on Daily Drive.
0: Customer wants to sign documents remotely? No problem. Customer wants to provide documentation and their driver's license in person? No problem. Customer wants to have their vehicle delivered? No problem. There are a lot of steps to complete a car deal, but what happens when customers start online and end in-store, or vice versa? You need a seamless, consistent process to start work and finalize every vehicle purchase, no matter where the customer is. Chris Walsh, president of Reynolds & Reynolds, explains how. Retail Anywhere is is powered by the retail management system. So the retail management system is the engine that that kind of makes this all work. And it's based on the premise that customers can be anywhere, right? They can be in-store, they can be at home, they can be a hybrid of both. It doesn't really matter, but it's a single process of interacting with that customer. And that's, you know, really important to be consistent in that way. And it's only achievable through a single system like the retail management system. Regardless of where the customer is buying from and how, Retail Anywhere focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this holistic approach to digital retailing, visit rayraycom forward slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot slash retail anywhere.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Electrify everything. That's the mantra of Ari Matusiak, a former Obama White House official, and the co founder and CEO of the nonprofit Rewiring America. He says EVs will play a major role in a much bigger shift in the way we all use energy. And he says the Inflation Reduction Act could be a defining catalyst for that new reality. Metusiag joined our own Jake Neer on the latest edition of Shift, a podcast about mobility. Here's a piece of their conversation.
4: Put all of that work into the context of, of autos and this transformation that's going on right now toward electrifying cars and trucks. I mean, it is no question that automakers are serious about this, that the plans that are in place are very robust. Uh, I mean, you know, you could probably pick apart some of the specifics of them. But um, if you talk to auto executives, they're they're not looking back right now. It's It's about electrification.
3: Right. So first to say, I'm a huge car buff. I've had car magazine subscriptions since I was nine years old. Um, And so, and I still even uh, in meetings will go to those magazine websites to look at things when I'm, um, you know, feeling distracted or something. So I've been a huge follower of the auto industry my whole life. And, you know, quite frankly, if you go back to several years, six, seven years, and you look at interviews that auto industry CEOs had in the mainline OEMs about electrification and about sort of competitors like Tesla, largely it was a brushing to the side that this was going to be sort of a sliver of the, of the market share. It wasn't going to be the dominant now of course as you mentioned the oems have not only are they looking forward they're making firm commitments to transition their entire lines to being electric and that's really for a couple of reasons one of them is that it's really hard to run two car companies at the same time um, so if you're <laughs> yeah. going to compete in the market it's a lot easier to compete as a, as a uni, uniform sort of maker of uh, a set of equipment and platforms and powertrains and all the rest than it is if you have to sort of continue to innovate across um, multiple formats. But the other is that it's just a superior product. It is a better experience for the driver and the customer. There's more power, there's more reliability, there's um, fewer moving parts and lower cost of ownership but it also creates a lot of other opportunity for the automakers themselves in terms of participating more broadly in the energy economy. Um, Because effectively, what is happening is the automakers are becoming energy storage providers for the grid overall, um, as with each car that they roll off the line.
4: The Inflation Reduction Act, huge part of that is lifting the cap on EV tax credits curious what your reaction is to that, what you think. Um, I don't know if you've had time to look at the details of that, but what are the things that you're thinking about as Congress continues sort of a, uh, legislative boost to encourage the pickup of EVs and to get more of those cars on the road?
3: Yeah, I would say three things about that. Um, I'm really excited about these EV tax cards and the inflation reduction act overall, which, um, Somebody reported might as well be called the Electrify Your Life Act, um, given how much money <laughs> is being put um residential electrification across the board from EVs to heat pumps. It's a big deal. I mean, not only is it the largest investment um, in climate in the history of the country, it is also the largest anti-inflationary investment in terms of residential energy costs in the history of the country. Um, and so... Uh, The EVs are really actually a very interesting example of how the policy is getting dialed correctly for the long-haul transition. First, as you mentioned, the caps are being lifted, um, and that's important because it makes the EV tax credits much more progressive. The 200,000 vehicle cap limits on on the last round of EV tax credits basically meant that automakers, their first models, which were premium models, Uh, would be the ones that had the availability of the tax credit and customers who were consumers who were able to make a discretionary purchase or be in the market for a high-end car were the beneficiaries of that policy. Now, it is a tax credit that is both price capped and income capped over Mm. the whole of a 10-year window so what happens as a result of that is that actually the tax credit becomes more and more powerful over the course of the 10-year window because the tax credit dollar number is not changing but the overall price of producing an ev is going to come down so and there will be more and more mainstream cars you mentioned gm having 30 models well one of them will be um a $300,000 custom-built car, which is <laughs> yeah. not eligible for the tax credit, <laughs> but there will be there will be $30,000 cars and $40,000 cars and $25,000 cars that will be available for that tax credit. So it will become more and more powerful as an instrument over time, and it's certain for the 10-year window. The other thing to say, and this is the part that is um, also very exciting, is the tax credit is now available for used EVs. So it had been the case that it was just a new EV tax credit, which made some sense, of course, because there weren't that many EVs around, but people are going to be buying many more EVs and then they're going to get rid of their EVs and then they're going to buy a new EV and there will be lots of used EVs. Um, And that used EV tax credit is incredibly important because it pushes down the, the price point and makes those cars much more affordable, which is in terms of just overall, family economics and um, opportunity is critical because it turns out that an EV costs the equivalent of $1. six a gallon to drive, um, as opposed to $4 or $5 a gallon to drive. So you're going to create a lot of incentive structure for adoption of EVs. All of that is going to build on itself and just make the flywheel spin faster and faster, which will make it possible for the automakers To hit their deadlines in terms of projected conversion of their fleets, I actually think what's going to happen is it's going to enable them to tuck in even further than they are projecting uh, based on what the market will do.
4: That's really interesting. I mean, you know, right now, it seems like the reactions are it's sort of a mixed bag in the auto industry as to whether they'll be able to meet the requirements that are in there, which EVs will be eligible But uh, as you said, you know, this is not an immediate game plan. This is a much longer sort of looking out kind of uh, piece of legislation. And it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening in the front end of this. I think it it could have a big effect on which companies end up having such a big portion of the market here in America. And, and, And I think that there's a lot of ways that could affect adoption if I'm not reading that wrong
3: right and i I mean my understanding of some of the um mixed reaction from the oems has to do with the amount of content that is american made Mm -hmm. um more so than it has to do with the structure of the credit itself Mm -hmm. meaning to say the amount and all that some maybe a bit on that Uh, but keep in mind that we're talking about an ev tax credit that goes up to an eighty thousand dollar car with a single individual income of 150,000, head of household of 225,000, and a married filing jointly household of 300,000 of income. So it's gonna cover a large swath of the market and for used cars uh, with incomes starting at 75,000 and working up basically to 150,000. So, so I, I think the EV tax credits are well dialed in in terms of the, the number of American households that will be able to participate and benefit in from those. And look, I mean, as we we will see how those other requirements bear out in terms of the way in which the market in the United States develops, what I think this does do as a policy basis is plant a flag in the ground, um, an American flag in the ground to say that we want to have the productive capacity of the energy future here in the United States. And we want to be able to make these things here uh, end to end. And that's, you know, that's the beginning of a policy conversation that, and we'll see how that goes over time.
1: Ari Matusiak is the co-founder and CEO of Rewiring America. He spoke with our own Jake Neer on the latest episode of Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today, I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. You can get the latest news on the Inflation Reduction Act manufacturing and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Lana Payne, who was recently elected the second president of Unifor, the automotive union in Canada. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode.